Live from the 607 is the ODPH Entertainment Edition, where we're talking movies, comics, TV, and more. Why don't you join in the conversation? Hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss. Let's waste no more time, shall we? Hit us up on the social media, hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation because we want to hear from you. Now, the biggest story in entertainment has to be, dare I say, the fall of the X-Men franchise uh-huh. in, in a lot of people's eyes. Aye. The disappointing debut of X-Men Dark Phoenix. Hey. Now, we did go over this movie last episode, kind of what we were expecting for it is the, again, yet another retelling of the classic Claremont and Burns story from the X-Men mythos, mm-hmm. arguably one of Marvel Comics' greatest stories ever. It's in there. They tried doing it with X3, The Last Stand, a few franchises ago, did not really hit the mark, shall we no, say. No, I'm, tr- I'm trying to really find a nice way to put it. Yeah. So obviously, when we heard Dark Phoenix was going to get mentioned again, and after the success of First Class and mm-hmm. Days of Future Past, well, yeah, and, and the, there was kind of hints of it going back to Apocalypse, where Jean showed the glimpses of the Phoenix Force in her during the final battle in Apocalypse. And I remember us having that conversation once we got out of the theater. We're like, all right, if they're going to go this route again, they've got to be very careful because they tried this once and screwed it up, and yet they did. So, folks, we are going to be talking spoilers. We are going to be reviewing this. We are not going to be holding back, so no. we just want to give you fair warning in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think of this movie? I don't regret seeing this movie. I mean, there were some parts of it that were enjoyable. It's not in the class of movies where I will never admit to anyone I ever saw this, but my God, was this an awful piece of shit. Let me break it down like this. Can we just talk about what was good about the movie before we go right into it? Yeah, so for me, what was good about it was Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender was acting his butt off and doing everything he could with what he had in in the terms of the script and what to do. There were also some action sequences that were very good, you know, when they get on fighting. And that's the one thing I feel the X-Men franchise, no matter if it's Deadpool, Wolverine, or even, you know, your mainline X-Men movies have always done well, is the action sequences have been very good. I mean, for as much as we crap on X-Men 3, The Last Stand, I still like the scene where there it's like the, what remains of the X-Men standing against the Brotherhood and saying, hold this line, don't let them through. Right. Okay. There's glimpses in this movie that really you go, okay, maybe, just maybe they might nail this. And yeah. like I said, Fassbender, he was great in it. James McAvoy, I didn't even mind. I know no. he, was, he was working the best he could with the script. And this is where I have the biggest issue with it. And I mm-hmm. just apologize. I just popped in the microphone. This was so far away from the source material that even if you tried doing a retelling of this, you missed the mark completely. Mm-hmm. There is so much going on with the Phoenix saga that, like you say, you need to nail this. The X-Men animated series nailed it. Oh, yeah. It took them five episodes. Right. So to try doing it in one, let alone you did tease this after you reset the timeline mm-hmm. from Days of Future Past. That reset it. That was supposed to be the bridge gap between First Class and the, the franchise that we know with Hugh Jackman. And, yeah and uh, Patrick Stewart's company. So when you referenced Phoenix in Apocalypse, and there is a scene 
where she is in a building in, I believe it was Egypt. Yeah. And you see the Phoenix Force emerge around her. It's it's not long, but it's a, it's a quick you see it. Right. You can't unsee it. It's no. there. So when we jump into the movie, you already have the sense that, okay, the timeline is now set. Mm-hmm. This is now the current first class timeline, however you want to define it. It's there. And we know going into this film, because the, everyone in charge of this movie made it known that this movie would be set in the 90s. Right. So we go from the 80s of Apocalypse to the 90s of Dark Phoenix, 1992 to be specific. Right, because they, they outright give you a year in the movie. Right. So when we jump into this frame, they start off with telling a quick story about Jean Grey and how her parents were allegedly killed. Mm-hmm. And we see kind of the backstory of how she winds up going to Xavier's school. Which is which was interesting and for me was a good start because this was something new. This was something different. This is something they hadn't done before. Which has been kind of one of my knocking points, I feel, for the X-Men franchise. Okay, you're doing movies, but you're still hitting a lot of the same points. Right. So as they progress and they show, okay, this is how Gene winds up being with the uh, X-Men, so to speak. They jump to 1992 and the X-Men now are glorified heroes yeah which is wait a sec time out time out i'll say yeah they've got people making posters about them they've got an action figure line they've got clothing line made out of them and and you know they're heroes everyone loves them and they've got a direct and the president's got a direct line to the x-men mansion so he can talk to xavier right which is mind-blowing to think that suddenly they go from being feared and hated Mm -hmm. in the 80s and like virtually wiping out the entire human race yes to now they're glorified heroes. Which, say they're, they're the first call over like SEAL Team 6 or something. Right, which I'm going, okay, this is random and just out of left field. That, which, I get, okay, I, get, I know some people are going to say, well, there was time that passed in between Apocalypse and, and Dark Phoenix. Okay, yes, I understand that. But for me, it's an extreme jump to go from, hey, sorry, the mutant race almost wiped out all life on the planet to, hey, you're the first people we call when something's going wrong. Right. So when they get the call to go save astronauts in space because there is a solar flare coming. Their words, not ours. Exactly. They take this, the Blackbird, which is not built for space, and well, they make a point to say this. Well, no, they, they kind of figure out if it can do it because uh, Hank has been, you know, Beast has been working on the X-Jet and doing some stuff and improving it in some way, but they don't really get specific how. And and when the president calls and says, hey, can you guys take care of this? Xavier kind of put does the old put his hand over the talking end of the phone and goes, uh, can we do this? He goes, yeah, maybe. Right, which was like, um, what are you talking about? Like, this just kind of seems so forced. They just didn't have a good flow to it. And then they go into space and they do their space mission, which I am really just kind of questioning the the extent of everybody's powers Mm -hmm. to pull this off. I'll say about the only one that made sense was when they had Scott get down into like the turret bay, almost like out of the Millennium Falcon. And he they built this thing where he kind of uses his visor, looks into like a, a... telescope periscope thing like you see out of the out of a submarine that focuses his his lasers into a gun that shoots out of the uh, x jet which just makes all the sense in the world to me i'm like oh okay that makes sense yeah that made somewhat sense but then you see how they're doing the mission and ultimately gene gray winds up on the spaceship mm-hmm. or the the shuttle rather yeah and then the the solar flare hits her yep so all of a sudden you see the phoenix force engulf her which is going, okay, well, it already happened in Apocalypse, so how is it happening now? Yeah. No sense made. No, None. No. So then when she returns to Earth, she 
really is trying to figure out what happened because nobody else can because they all say she should be dead. Well, yeah, and they're they're all kind of like, ah, oh, what the heck just happened up here? But she's all hunky dory. Oh no, I feel perfectly fine. I feel better than fine, in fact. Yes. Yeah, so obviously she's coming back to Earth, and they're checking her levels, and they're through the roof for her powers, and she mm-hmm. is. Like the one thing about the Phoenix when you watch it, it doesn't necessarily turn bad at the jump. Right. It's a gradual build. So for the powers to kind of be controlling her, they never really delve into it. It's just all of a sudden she's just acting weird because she has a, the Phoenix Force in her. Yeah. Which I thought, okay, maybe this should got explained a little bit. But I have read the X-Men story, so I'm like, okay, and I know what this is doing. And they tried kind of uh, conveying that there was something going on because once they get back to the, uh, to the mansion and all the kids are there to give them a hero's welcome, Xavier has this nice speech about how the president gave his thanks and yada, da, you know, no class for the rest of the day. Well, those of age go out to like the woods someplace near the mansion and start having a party where fun cameo, we get to see Dazzler. Yeah, we get to see Dazzler finally. You finally get to see Dazzler for all of like one scene and like a blink and you miss it type of type of scene. But, you know, Jean's hanging out with Scott, you know, Cyclops, and she's pounding alcohol like Barry does in the flash. Yeah, which is, you know, already kind of seeing, okay, something is not right here. And then as you obviously see down further in the scenes, Jean just finally lets go and basically has like a force generation that she knocks it down trees. Looks like something out of Star Wars. Right. That she's finally just like loses it. And they don't really kind of delve into why, but obviously they she figures out something is wrong. And it's pow- and it's a force powerful enough that you know, they kinda of cut in the middle of the scene away to where Xavier's out at some banquet dinner getting a thank you from the president in front of what I assume are been very many dignitaries in the government, you know, Congress and the Senate and what have you. And, and, you know, Jean has her force bubble thing go on and Xavier is however many miles away, presumably in Washington, D.C. and goes, oh, crap, something just happened. I need to leave. Right. So as he comes back to the X-Mansion, Jean does take off mm-hmm. because what we find out is the beginning scene when we hear we see what happens with Jean's parents apparently is a ruse to a degree. Right. Because. Once Xavier figures out or learns what's been going on, he uses Cerebra. He tries to get get into Jean's mind using his powers, and in the past, he's had no issues. But now, because of the Phoenix powers and her powers being, as uh, Beast put it, off the charts to the point where he needed to build a new chart, he can no longer you know, peer into her mind, and he needs to use the power of Cerebro, which, of course, amplifies his powers to see into her mind. And when he starts rooting in there, she starts waking up, and that's where kind of like the proverbial walls that uh, Xavier had built up around these horrible memories start falling. Yes. So at this point, she's going to find her dad, who she now realizes is alive, mm-hmm. which brings some intrigue. But then they cut away to where we get introduced to our antagonist of the film. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you know her name? Nope. No, because they never explain it except for a quick throwaway line. And it, it's really a bad scene or bad mark of a movie when I have to watch a video from Nerdist explaining who she is and, and what she is because at no point... Because I, they said who she is, but I didn't pay that much attention to it because, like you said, it's a throwaway line. But they, they also don't explain what she is because I know a lot of people are thinking she's Shi'ar. No, she's not no. Shi'ar. I know there was some speculation that she might have been a scroll, but because of the way Captain Marvel worked, they took scroll out of there and they just kind of left it as is. She's not a scroll either. She's just some alien race. Yeah, that they never define. No. So you're going in blind with this that you just see in the sky. There's a house party going on, mm-hmm. you know, an adult house party. And you just see there's like a star that bursts into three and then a dog is barking. So Jessica Chastain's character gets up to go check. And then all of a sudden you see these creatures 
come out from the woods. Mm -hmm. In the easiest way I can describe it, you take the zombies from World War Z and you mix them with symbiotes like Venom. Yeah. That's the easiest way I can describe. It does not describe Shi'ar. It does not describe Kree. It does not describe Skrulls. No. No. So we don't know what the heck these things are, which has no place to the storyline. And then all of a sudden they take her over and then she's randomly got powers and she's killing people at this party. And then she meets up with these other aliens down the road. And they basically are saying that they are chasing after the Phoenix, Mm -hmm. which destroyed their home world. So they're either going to control it and rebuild their homeworld, I'm assuming, because I don't even think that I th- got clarified. I think that was their initial point because it wasn't really out. It wasn't quite clearly said, but there was a line about how about rebuilding their planet or rebuilding their race. Yeah, they said either we're going to have her rebuild it or we're going to destroy her, which I'm going, okay, well, this worked yeah. out so well for your planet that now you're chasing her. But I digress. Let's just jump back to the story. Yeah. So at this point, Jean meets up with her dad and gets the truth that she did kill her mom, but her dad did not know what to do with her as a mutant. Mm-hmm. So he t- turned her over to Charles Xavier for help because he's like, I don't know what's going on. I, I, I can't deal with this. So at this point, you see Jean's emotions are going all over the place. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the X-Men track her down and you see that there is a fight between them, which I just say for all the X-Men that were involved... A couple of them had throwaway scenes, and you forgot they were in the movie. Yeah. Quicksilver is one who is one of the bright spots they've had over the past couple films. Yeah. He's eliminated quick. And then you see Mystique, who at the beginning of the film was saying that Charles' dream is getting very, very blurry with how much he's trying to be accepted Mm -hmm. by humanity, that she is saying that she was ready to quit the X-Men, and she's trying to go talk to Gene, and and she's trying to reason. Gene unleashes another force blast, which thus impales her yeah. through a fence or metal object of yeah, some I sort. I think it was part of her because the, her childhood home or her father's home got like blasted to a degree. And I think it was part of that yeah. that she got impaled on. So thus Mystique is now killed off, which they admitted when yeah. the trailer was released. Yeah. Which I still to this day go, why would you burn that? Yeah, news. And, and then the last scene or the last line you have from Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique is her trying to say, I love you to Beast and not getting the phrase fully out. Right. So Jean takes off yet again, and then we find out that she's trying to track down Magneto, mm-hmm. who apparently has Genosha, mm-hmm. or Genosha rather, and all of a sudden I'm just thinking, okay, why was he suddenly awarded his own island? Yeah, like he like he even says that like she shows up to his island and people are a little skeptical because they don't know who she is and they don't really like outsiders showing up. She shows up and, and essentially, you know, eventually the army shows up and he says to the army, "Listen, you know, we have every right to be here. We were awarded this by the government. Okay, for what reason? Like Yeah, reasons. Like the, again, the world last we knew was almost destroyed by the mutants. And I and correct me if I'm wrong, Magneto was one of the four standing next to Apocalypse during this whole thing. So I, I have a hard time believing that, oh, hey, we've got you on footage standing next to the guy that almost destroyed the world. But yeah, sure, let's give you an island. It made no sense. I mean, we can just sum up when we don't have an answer for this as reasons. reasons. That's how we're going to just define it because that's the easiest way to explain it without making mm-hmm. my head explode. Yeah. So he's on Genosha. 
And Gene is looking for sanctuary. He is like, why are you here? And what's going on? And the the U.S. government is now chasing after her. I'm saying Gene's playing coy and she's still rattled by killing Mystique and doesn't want to tell him. And he's trying to get it out of her. But before he can get it out of there, the government shows up and the government's looking for and the government somehow tracked her to this island. How? I have no idea. But they don't. They tracked her and she eventually shows up. And at this point, the Phoenix Force is back in control and she's picking up one of the two helicopters that you know the army arrived in and she picks him up and she you know injures a couple if not kills a couple and then she tries to start using it to kill the commander and the rest of his forces but all the while uh fastbender is having one of one of the bright spots of the movie for me and using everything he has to hold the helicopter back from destroying these guys and killing these guys and he says you need to get out of here get out of here i'm holding it with everything i got you need to go so they all pile into the helicopter try to take off and magneto like football throws this thing like brett Favre in his prime right and, and it takes off and she go and gene has a line i forget what it is but then she go or she says i thought you were protecting you know i thought you had this island to to protect mutants he goes yeah from people like you right and at this point gene takes off to where apparently new york city because reasons because reasons they don't even explain how she winds up there no so at this stage, Beast is obviously dealing with the grief of losing Mystique. He has a, a falling out with Charles. He winds up going to Genosha to meet up with Magneto, and he mm. decides to drop the news. Hey, by the way, Gene killed Mystique. Well, yeah, because he, he brings up the whole Gene thing, and, and uh, uh, Magneto's like, you know, no, yeah, she was here, and blah, blah, blah. They go through the story, and he goes, well, did she tell you what happened? No. Raven's dead, and, and Gene killed her. And at that point, the switch gets flipped in Magneto, and he goes from, you know, telling uh, Gene that, oh, I haven't killed anyone in a while. I'm not really about that anymore. I've, I've moved on. What have you to, yeah, I'm going to kill her. Yeah, flips the switch and is ready to go. Like pulls the helmet out of like some, some bo- you know, toy box looking thing out of, from under his bed and goes, nope, yep, time to take care of business. And at this point, Gene is now, we're presuming she's in New York. We yeah. can't really tell because she winds up in a seedy bar that she's now illusioning herself away from the public mm-hmm. to where Jessica Chastain's character comes to find her. And I yep. believe the character's name is Vox, so I'm uh, just going to say like that. that. So at this stage, Vox is reasoning with Jean Grey and saying, you don't know your potential and what you can do, and then explains how... Nobody she, understands you. Everyone's afraid. Like the typical stuff you hear in movies. Right, which it was like, okay, this makes sense, but at the same token, it really doesn't because all like suddenly... Gene is like, okay, I'm going to go with you. Because, I mean, obviously she's probably worn off her welcome, has nobody there. Yeah, she feels friendless. Yeah, however you want to define it. So then she takes off. So at this point, the X-Men now are chasing after her. Beast and company are now chasing after her. Everybody winds up in New York. Mm-hmm. There's a great fight scene. Yeah, with one of the, again, one of the bright spots in the movie where you've got the X-Men and Magneto's crew fighting out, out front of a hotel. I presume it's on one of the one of the sides of uh, Central Park or at a hotel. And, you know, they all go to fight. They start fighting. And then Magneto stands there and pulls a subway car out from underneath them. Not the whole train. A singular car with people in it, which was just awesome to see. Yeah, it was great. Like I said, the one bright spot from this movie was the action scenes. That was the one takeaway you can go, okay, they got that right. Yeah. But as we see, there's the fight between Magneto's brotherhood, I guess, of evil mutants or whatever you they, want to find them as. Like, we can define them because they sure didn't. Right. Because nobody did. Because reasons. reasons. At this stage, Magneto's team is fighting Xavier's, and everybody's trying to break in to fight Vox or uh, Volk, I believe is the name. Okay. 
uh, and who has Jean Grey, who's now trying to siphon the Phoenix away because Jean doesn't want the power. She's realizing what's going on. She's having her mental breakdown. Scott shows up, and it just he winds up making the save from the Phoenix Force fully going to Volk. At this stage, though, Jean is thoroughly weakened. Magneto mm-hmm. got thrashed yeah. by the Phoenix. Xavier had one of the more disturbing scenes where Gene makes him walk up the stairs yeah. because he's paralyzed. Yeah. And the government now takes everybody under control because as all the work that the X-Men apparently have done in the 12 years since Apocalypse is now up in smoke. Yeah, because there's one scene when Gene is back in the bar, uh, the local news is on, and they're talking about kind of how Gene's like public enemy number one, and every government on the planet is looking for her. And they, there's even a mention that, oh, they're, they're starting to set up like mutant detention camps for mutants they deem to be enemies of the state. Yes, which is very interesting that they can flip this at a drop of a dime. Yeah. After we've had an X phone in the president's office the entire time. And what also happens during that same scene, Xavier's watching watching the same uh, news broadcast and picks up the phone to try and explain what's going on to the president. Presumably, I'm guessing he gets his secretary or, or whoever is in charge of, you know, get his phone calls. And he goes, oh, well, yes, I'd like to speak with the president. And, you know, the person says after this phone call, this phone will no longer be in service. Right. So at this point, everything's up in smoke. They're on a train going to presumably one of these camps. Mm-hmm. And at this stage, we now see the alien race, whatever you want to find them as, yeah. swarm like World War Z yeah. all over the train. I'll say we go from like five or six of this alien race to like 500 plus because reasons. Reasons. No explanation. No. Just reasons. No. That we don't even know the extent of these aliens because as we see, they are literally hit with the kitchen sink. Oh. Everything. Yeah, that like the army just starts unloading bullet after bullet after bullet onto these things. I mean, they even hit them with a fifty caliber mounted machine gun. And it just yeah. They just like like Jay Z said, they just brush a shoulder brush a shoulder off. Right. And at this stage you're looking going, Okay, what the hell are these things? Yeah. I can't figure it out. I'm even trying to think, are, are they, uh, what are they, Phalanx? Because mm-hmm. they never explain. I'm going, okay, they can't be Shi'ar, they can't be Kree. Like, who the heck are these aliens? And why, like, they're just trying to get the Phoenix Force. I get that. You made it very simple, but you also made it very stupid, in my opinion, because yeah. you can't explain this in the Marvel mythos. No. I digress, because at this whole stage, Magneto and is and Xavier are really trying to reason with the soldiers, to, like, we're your only chance to fight back. Yeah. You have to free us. And they do reluctantly. Well, after they realize that, oh, hey, the tranquilizer darts we use to capture uh, the mutants from Magneto's crew and the X-Men don't work on these things. The one guy, the rest of them get killed that were in that room. But the one goes, oh, hey, no, they were right. I got to free him. Right. So everybody is trying to make their way to the car that Jean Grey is locked and loaded in that. This turns into one of the better scenes because it's a fight scene and they fully unleash. And you do mm-hmm. see the team of Storm and Nightcrawler and Beast. Yeah. You don't see Wolverine. No. You have this is your core team, and they are just fully going to town fighting everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially they're throwing everybody off the train. Magneto's lackeys. Storm, say Storm's lighting the thing up like a light, like a bug zapper. Right. And everybody's getting thrown off the train. Uh, Magneto's. Two henchmen, whoever they were, they get tossed off the train too, because yep. reasons. And then you see Nightcrawler go fully crazy mm-hmm. and just kills everybody in yeah. sight. Which I'm going, okay, this really isn't like how he is in the comics, but I'm gonna let this slide, sure, because reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm just 
it's kind of like when I turn my brain off when I watch the Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah. I just try not thinking. I just let it happen, yeah. and we just let it go. Yeah, we also see Magneto like kind of like the last line of defense between Gene and Jessica Chastain's character because Jessica Chastain's character eventually makes it onto the train and just starts making light work with everyone. Like, at one point, uh, Storm summons a massive lightning storm and hits her with it, and she almost does like uh, Christopher Lee does in the second Star Wars movie where, like, Yoda throws, like, yeah, he throws the lightning at Yoda, and Yoda catches it. But it's kind of like Jessica Chastain does the same thing. She catches it and goes, oh, huh, that was fun. Magneto then takes like every gun that's in this armory car and just starts unloading on her, which is kind of like, oh, wow, that like what the heck's going on here? But at the same time, uh, CGI budget in that scene could have used a couple extra bucks because it was painfully obvious those weren't real bullets. Yeah, it turned into a very, very rough scene. Yeah. And we see Magneto's defeated, and then Jean finally comes to her subconscious because she's at a weakened point and basically tells Xavier she forgives him and she knows what she has to do now. And then there's a big elevation of the train. They crash in a junkyard, and the Phoenix is now unleashed, and she is literally Thanos snapping everybody into dust. Mm -hmm. Like that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, that's the only way to describe it because (laughs) during this entire movie, we don't really even know the full extent of the Phoenix Force. Nope. No, it's just Jean's got powers, and she's going crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it ends with Gene taking Volk up into space and disintegrating her and giving off, like, basically a sonic boom. Yeah, because Gene tries to kill her, and, and Scott tries running towards her because, you know, he's in love. Reasons. Reasons. And, and you know, Scott gets a little too close, and, like, the skin or something starts peeling off of his hand. He goes, ah, Gene. And, and that's when Jessica Chastain tells her, listen, if you're going to kill me, you're going to have to sacrifice your friends to do it. And at that point, I'm calling this from a mile away, and I'm like, okay, so she'll just fly into space. Yeah. Because it's already been well established in this movie that this power, that she can fly at great distances and great speeds. Uh, so she says that line of, oh, if you if you want to kill me, you have to sacrifice your friends. Oh, so she'll just fly into space. 30 seconds later, that's what she does. Yeah. Is is completely telegraphed. You saw it coming a mile away. Yeah. And, and, then, and even Jessica Chastain has the line, oh, your emotions make you weak. And then... Gene flies her into space and goes, no, my emotions make me strong. Right. I mean, Sophie Turner did the best she could with the script, too. I'm not bashing anybody's acting in no. this one because they did the best they could, but I, I am really struggling with this entire script. And as we see, Gene is now presumed dead. The sonic boom is gone. Mm-hmm. We find out that as we have go forward, I mean, sorry, I got to really just focus here because. Let's say we find out Beast is now running the the mansion, which is now renamed, now, now no longer known as Professor Xavier School for the Gifted. It's now been renamed to the Jean Grey School. School of the Gifted. Right, which they don't give a timeline of how far this has gone no, in advance. No, but That's so what I'm struggling with. So you've got that. The school's renamed. Beast is running the school. Xavier has retired and is in in the middle of France. Like you see the, the Eiffel Tower in the background where Magneto shows up. Right, where you see Magneto tracks him down because the X-Men are apparently moving on without Xavier. You mm-hmm. see Quicksilver's telling his story. I mean, for being in the movie all five minutes, he has a lot yeah. of story to talk about. Yeah. You see Nightcrawler, you see Storm. So you see basically what's going to be the next core group had Fox still had the rights. Right. And as Xavier is sitting in France, Magneto tracks him down with a chessboard, wants to play for old time's sake, and basically is trying to reason with Xavier, who has now had the fall from grace because... Essentially, we we assume because reasons mm-hmm. that the X Men have now gone back to square one, where they're feared and hated, but yet they're still at the school. 
Yeah. Nothing's really been explained there. No. Xavier has now just walked away because obviously he's failed. He's felt he's failed. I mean, that's all he's been reminded in the entire movie with Gene. Well, because so, the other confusing thing with this, and just to backtrack a little bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, we get the scene where Gene flies up into space and kills Jessica Chastain's character. And then it just kind of like fades to black and then comes up on their back. They're at Gene's talking, and it's like this sweeping shot of the mansion and the students walking through the mansion. Yeah. And it's uh, she's doing a voiceover of the scene. So, like, we just go, we just go from. Like, there's no resolution of, oh, thank God the villain was killed. Wait, where's Gene? It's just, oh, hey, yeah, villain's killed and we're moving on. Yeah, just blink an eye and we're just keep it going. Like, it, there was just no break in there, which no. they should have. No. And as we see, Magneto is offering sanctuary to Xavier because I guess he still has Genosha at this point. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. And then the scene just pans up to the sky and you see the phoenix flying through the screen, fade to black. Which I will say, the scene where where Xavier and Magneto are playing chess was a nice touch. Oh, it's a nice touch. It's it a nice was throw- a nice touch. It- nice throwback yeah it was a nice throwback it kind of closes the the movie and the franchise in a way that like we were very familiar with seeing them but for the rest of it it was a hot pile of garbage i know i said it on the last week's show it was not projected to do well at the box office folks folks it did not do well at the box office at all uh for the weekend domestically it made 32.8 million dollars finishing second to the life of pets 2 and it only finished ahead of aladdin and godzilla king of the monsters and rocket man but because well those weren't the first weekends it was in theaters. In terms of X-Men movies overall, it was the lowest opening weekend for an X-Men movie ever. And yes, I'm counting the previous movies, Deadpool and the Wolverine movies. Uh, the only thing that, the, uh, the only it finished behind, ahead of nothing, and it finished behind uh, the Wolverine, which had an opening weekend of just over $53 million. This was just destined to fail from the jump, in my opinion. This, yeah. The script was so off base. And then from what I was hearing, if this rumor was true, this was supposed to be the catalyst for the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. versus X-Men. Yeah. These were supposed to be scrolls, mm-hmm. and this was going to have like a Civil War type deal going on between them. And well, the no, because from what I read, it was going to be Civil War, but it was going to be Fox's Civil War because I the stuff I had been reading over the weekend, it essentially copied... Civil War, the comic verbatim, to the point where like the the uh, the registration act would get enacted, and like you'd have one, you know, you'd have uh, Mister Fantastic on one side, and then one of the X Men on the other side, and like they go at it, like it's a verbatim copy of Civil War, just with Fox characters. But why would you do that when you've already had that happen with Disney? I mean, like, yeah. this, it's, like why? This just doesn't make any sense. No. So to see that if this was the dream that they were going with, I'm glad somebody woke them up because this was just going to be destined to fail. Yeah. And then you never explain who those aliens are. If they were supposed to be scrolls, they have never been that powerful in the comics. Maybe mm-hmm. one yeah. super scroll. Yeah. But when they have regeneration like of everything, I'm sorry, it just doesn't happen that way. E- even DC movies, for as much as they get crapped on. You at least understand who the villains are and what their motivation is and what they're doing. When Lex Luthor shows up on the screen in in Dawn of Justice, like you know what his deal is. Like you know what you know what's going on there. With Jessica Chastain's character, it's like, "Oh, hey, she's showing up cuz reasons and we're not quite sure." No, we don't know. We don't understand what the aliens are doing. We we have a vague idea. Well, they're trying to capture whatever the Phoenix Force is. It's never even referred to as the Phoenix Force by them. No. They're chasing after a solar flare. That's essentially what it is. How does that make sense? It doesn't. No. Like I say, my biggest issue with this is the script is just so far off the tracks after you get to the second act and it goes right off the rails to the third. Yeah. They just can't even recapture its glory. Like the beginning was not the worst. And like I said, no. the acting 
due to what they had to work with, I don't really struggle with. I thought McAvoy and Fassbender had were great in this. Yeah. Sophie Turner did what she could. I wasn't mad about her, but no. it was just like the dramatic swings without explanation. And you and the thing is, it's geared if you know the Phoenix story. Some people don't. And when you do a movie like that, you got to make it open-ended for everybody to get involved with. But if you take a look at the lineage of this, I'm just going to put this out there. Hollywood, stay away from the Phoenix saga. You can't do it. Okay. Period. Yeah. We tried with X3. You can't do it. You tried with Dark Phoenix. You can't do it. I'm hoping Disney smartens up and goes, you know what? We're just going to leave this one alone. Oh, so to quote the one line from How the Grinch Stole Christmas, they're not going to touch with a 39 and a half foot pole. No, they shouldn't. Whenever they decide to go with their direction about the X-Men, yeah. they need to leave it alone. Yeah. Just don't just mention it in passing. If you want to do a throwaway scene, sure. Don't try pulling this off on screen. No. You can't do it. I'm not giving a challenge out. I'm just saying this is fact. You can't do the Phoenix Saga in one movie. You need to make it your trilogy. At this stage, why would you? Look at the numbers. They do, it doesn't do well. No. Because fans know this, and they get this. And to say that this is the final chapter of the X-Men franchise, I'm not counting New Mutants because that's a whole different ball of wax. That still has to see the light of day for us to count that. Right. And I'm not saying that that's going to be the final X-Men movie because we don't even know how they're going to connect that to the X-Universe. You would assume they're going to, but at this stage, who knows? Because, like I said, we're, we might never see this movie hit the screen. At this stage, I'm not holding any breath on it. But if this is going to be your, end of, your bookend to the X-Franchise, what a disappointment. A little bit. To put it mildly. A little bit. Just to see where it's gone. And when you did the reboot, like I said, X3 left a lot of bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. Mm-hmm. Get it. Mm-hmm. You came back with First Class, which was great. Days of Future Past, which, I, in my opinion, might be the best of the X-Men movies they've done at Fox. Yeah. You can argue that with X2. No, yeah. X, X-Men, Dave's, uh, X-Men First Class was good, but in my opinion, they should have just, like, and I know this is hindsight 2020, This, if you're doing a, a rewatch of the movies at any point, just stop at Days of Future Past. Like, that, that to me, is what should be the end of the Fox X-Men franchise. I agree. And then Logan is the end of Wolverine's story. Yeah. Like, that's it. Yeah, that, Logan is the best movie they've done, period, Yeah, with the X-Men franchise. Yeah. So, but if we're talking the team, it stays the future past, and you end it there. Apocalypse was not great, but it was better than this, in my no, opinion. Yeah. In my opinion? I mean, this is kind of like maybe a 1A, 1B scenario. I'll, I'll throw that out there. I can't, I can't even stretch it that far. Because, like I said, there was flashes of brilliance, but there were blinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even say full flashes. No. The fighting was great. Fassbender and McAvoy did what they could. But overall, yeah. to end the Phoenix on this note, good. L- put it to bed. Let's never talk about it again. When you go to Disney, hit the reset hard. I don't care how you do it. Just leave this alone. Because, quite frankly... To go on in this note is just a bad way to remember what a franchise was because without the X-Men franchise, and let's face it, if X-Men, the first one, didn't do as well as it did, we probably would never have an MCU. That's true. Let's be honest about that, folks. But let us know what you think. We've given you enough to discuss about this movie, but we want to hear from you. Hit us up on our social media accounts. You can find them at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Use the hashtag ODPH. What was your take on Dark Phoenix? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! 
coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast. We're joined in studio by our friend Liz, who is a big, big fan of what we're going to be talking about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we're talking Jessica Jones. We're going to talk about some good Marvel. We're not going to be talking about Dark Phoenix. Oh, God, no. And we didn't even say the worst line that was even said in that movie. No, we're going to save that for later. No, no, no. We're going to talk about good things now. We're going to talk about Jessica Jones returning for the final season on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Season three is going to be the final part of the Defenders universe that we'll ever see on Netflix, presumably. Well, no, but no presumably about it. It's the last time, for now, that we'll see these characters. Right. I just I just rule in this day and age just to never say never. But this is going to be season three, and then we'll see what happens in a couple years. Now, Liz, you're a big Jessica Jones fan? Yes, absolutely. So you're definitely going to be excited about this. Now, for our listeners out there, Jessica Jones, how would you describe Jessica? Jessica, she's very, she's very rebellious, and she's obviously going through a lot. And I think she's hilarious, and she's got that really dry sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Jessica Jones has just been such a refreshing addition to the Marvel MCU Netflix universe. I would say when the show came out, really didn't know a lot what to think of the character. I mean, really has kind of come along in recent years in the Avengers mythos, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely having ties to Luke Cage and such. And just coming from her own book, which was, you know, for the time when it came out, it was really interesting to see how they're doing like a Max version, so to speak, of this. Yeah. And, and just how this character, which is so fractured and, and you know, so, you know, just broken, finds the way to be the hero that she is. And I mean, she's hard-boiled as it comes and definitely is not afraid to voice her opinion and speak her mind. I would say it's one of those dark undersides of the comic universe that you would expect to be there are a lot of times we're like okay we see them on their best days we're like they save the world they save the girl they save the little kitten out of the tree but at the end of the day there's like a net there's like a bad side that like okay i saved the person that i've been trying to save but at the same time i went through and saw an awful amount of stuff and just that really messes with the person so like you know for years we saw kind of the like i said the bright side the oh everything's hunky dory and bright but for her it's kind of the polar opposite right and obviously you see going through season one was pretty much a, a very good depiction of how the comic was when she was reintroduced to the marvel universe i mean david Tennant is Kilgrave, one of the best villains if not the best bil villain they've had on, uh, yeah on, i mean it's up with vincent d'onofrio yeah Kingpin. i mean it's a 1a 1b right and just to see how well that season was done i mean liz you a big fan of season one yes so going into season two, we really didn't know what to expect with season two. In season two, yeah. I, I don't want to say missed its mark, but you really didn't have the sense of like what the direction was going to be in. It was also hard to follow up season one just because for me, season one was so good that it's like, okay, you know, it's almost like in sports when you have a, a famous player like a Michael Jordan, Brett Favre, Wayne Gretzky that like. Okay, they're they're that good that like whoever follows up after them is gonna have big shoes to fill. Right. So season two, you you can say it was a letdown. I mean, I don't rank it there with Iron Fist. No. Which I mean God, that no. that's that's kind of my lowest uh, barometer of the MCU shows. But I thought Jessica Jones season two was definitely a step in the right direction per se. But the the whole saga with her and her mom and just what the direction they went in, I thought was maybe not as great as season one, but we definitely saw her best friend suddenly now get her powers too, and and we're the, we're leading into season three. We just got done watching the trailer, Pat. What did you think? It looks very interesting. I'm kind of interested to see where they go with this because it's not kind of the way I would think it would go. Right. This one we didn't really know what to expect with. 
but we did see that we do have the villain announced for the show. Mm-hmm. Pad? Uh, it is going to be Gregory Salinger, played by Jeremy Bob, uh, who, of course, if for Marvel comic fans, is known to be the second person to assume the identity of Fool Killer. Now, this is kind of interesting because the character in his own right is just different. Mm-hmm. But this is for old MCU heads like myself. That when I heard this was announced, I'm like, whoa, okay, this is gonna be interesting, but this fits. Yeah, I would say it really says something about a character when, like, you're reading an article kind of describing the show and the season, what to expect, and like the, the little sentence used to describe him is the second psychopath, right? Like, not the second person, not the second man, not the second woman, the second psychopath, and especially with how fool, fool killer is because he's brilliant and his his motivation is simply to kill fools. Mm-hmm. And how he does it is like a, almost like a flair for the dramatic. You know, he's very poetic at times. Yeah. Like, you almost want to think of like a swashbuckler, but not as cool. I mean, that's kind of the easiest yeah. way to say it. But how they're going to portray this on screen, I think, is going to be interesting. Because with Jessica Jones, he really doesn't have a rogues gallery like you would think. This is kind of borrowing from other elements of the MCU, but I think it's a good thing is it was, we see like with cloak and dagger borrowing from the MCU for their rogues gallery. This is a nice welcome addition. And obviously to see where she's left off at this point, I mean, she's now assumed taken back up her practice of being a private investigator Mm -hmm. and just really going in and seeing what she has to deal with because now that she has to deal with somebody that's really pushing her buttons and, and almost going at the psychological aspect that Kilgrave did is going to be really interesting to watch because this is where Jessica Jones really shines, I think, in my opinion anyway, that when she's given the task where she's on the run and she has to find a way through herself and deal with her own you know, uh, insecurities almost, you want to say, and just all the trauma she's been through, that she just doesn't feel that she can be the hero she is, but then she finds ways to be that hero mm-hmm. and do it, does it in her own way because I think there's only one person that can do it, and that's her, that she just finds a way that she's tough as nails. I mean, she just puts on that so, you know, I was like, I don't want to use tough as, as, a, as an adjective, but I mean, that's the easiest way to describe it. Just a really forceful, you know, demeanor when she's coming back and she's really trying to just be a, I don't want to say standoffish, but, you know, she doesn't keep a very big circle of friends. And then to see how she plays off when somebody comes at them. And as we see, when Fool Killer is attacking somebody she cares about, all bets are off. Oh, yeah. And just to see how it involves the rest of the cast. I mean, the one thing that I'm really interested to see is her best friend, Trish. Yeah. We'll say because Liz, of course, you remember from the last season, they had a bit of a falling out. I think it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, it'll be very interesting. Are you a big fan of her? Jessica? No, Trish. Trish? Nah, I mean, she's, a, she's kind of a tough character to play off of because, you know, she kind of tries to play that. Oh, lovey-dovey, best friend kind of side, but then she also has that like underside of like she's a little jealous, and it, you, you almost kind of want to hate her a little bit. I say almost kind of two-faced, but not at the same time. Yeah, yeah, she definitely has her own difference in uh, you know what she wants to be because she looks at Jessica, and there's just so much just jealousy mm-hmm. that okay, Jessica has the powers, Jessica can, can do all this, and she so desperately wants to be a superhero that when she winds up doing what she did in season two and getting right. her powers. Now we kind of see what happens because in the comics she's a character Hellcat, right? Which is which is funny because you have a character in the, at least at this point in the show well, during season two where she's got you know a big majorly syndicated radio show that goes out across Lord knows how far from New York. 
you know, she seemingly has it all. Her face is on buses. It's on billboards. It's on, you know, bus stops. It's on benches. It's, you know, everyone knows who she is, but she's not happy. No, she isn't. And then I think this goes to show how flawed these characters are, but how well they're portrayed. I mean, Kristen Ritter does an amazing job as Jessica Jones. I don't think she gets enough credit for how she can go into that place where she plays somebody that's so broken, but yet so, so bold, too. I mean, I just think just how she portrays the character, she definitely deserves a lot more credit than she gets for it. Mm-hmm. And then just looking at the rest of the cast, um, Malcolm is coming back, who is Jessica's unwitting sidekick, I guess you could say. Or, yeah. You know, he's, he's everybody knows about him. Yes. And they're bringing back Jerry Hogwarth as well, or Hogarth, who is playing the attorney. And, and we see that there is now a tension between her and Jessica as well. Yep. Which is going to play off because she is defending Fool Killer, which I I just am really waiting to see this cat and mouse game, so to speak, and how Jessica winds up defeating Fool Killer in the end, or does she? I don't I mean, know. I mean, we don't know. Liz, what's your expectations for this season going in? Jessica's going to crush it. She's going to bring it. And she's going to crush it. She absolutely will. I mean, it does seem to be that she's showing her strength in full form. I mean, there is the one part. I think it's early in the trailer where somebody's confronting her and she uses a freaking car to pin them against the wall yeah she just unleashes and it's so cool to see when she finally just goes and i mean when you push somebody to that edge and then they find a way to come through and just be the hero that they're always supposed to be Mm -hmm. i mean that just is the the total synopsis of jessica jones that as damaged and as broken as she is she finds ways to be a hero reluctantly because she just doesn't feel she can Mm -hmm. but then she looks at the effect she has on other people and just doesn't ever sink in I mean, it's just a really interesting character trait to to what they built up there. And if this is going to be the swan song to Netflix's Marvel legacy, what do you think is going to be the lasting impact? I think it's going to be something that prior to, you know, this happening, I think it was something that I think for a lot of us we never expected to see. I mean, sure, you've got the CW-verse and, and they kind of do their own thing. But, like, I feel like for me, Netflix was – the Marvel Netflix stuff was kind of the first thing that really nailed the crossover and had me anticipating for a lot of stuff down the road. You know, when Arrow and Flash were really starting, they were kind of, like, off on their own thing. They might have interacted here and there for, like, an episode each season. But this was, like, the first time that I remember watching a show going, okay, what are the larger impacts going to be for, like, the, the world at large? Liz, what do you think is the lasting impact of Jessica Jones in the Netflix universe? I don't know. Like, I feel like it's not. I think she's showing that not. it's not easy being a superhero. And it's not like it's not all that glamorous. It's not everything that's cracked up to be. It's not like a bunch of roses, you know, like, I mean, she's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, she's tired. She has to have her glass of wine. Otherwise, she can't function. <laughs> You know, like, she's definitely got some coping skills, and um, I just think that she's, um, you know, she works really hard, and, um, you know, like, she, sometimes she'll drag her feet if she has to do something, but at the end of the day, she, um, she, she crushes it. Well, so it, it, it's not all parades and keys to the city. Yeah. No, definitely not. I mean, she definitely hits her whiskey pretty hard yeah. during the, during the show. A little bit. I don't know how much wine she drinks, but I think it's just definitely she hits she hits it pretty hard. Somebody on Reddit's got. I'm going to put this out. If there's anyone on the R uh, MCU or R Marvel Studios subreddit listening right now, I'm going to put this out to because Reddit does some incredible things when you think about it and figuring stuff out. Uh, let's let's see if Reddit can figure out how much she's drank over the course of the seasons. Either way, just to tie it up, I mean, Jessica Jones is a perfect addition to the MCU and just yeah, what, the, what yeah. the Netflix universe represents because it's not all the super-powered Captain Americas and Iron Mans and Thors. 
it shows that with great power, there is great responsibility, but there isn't mm-hmm. the escape of great problems. And if you take a look at everybody that's been in the MCU Netflix universe, Daredevil has a bunch of emotional issues, yeah. to put it mildly. yeah. Luke Cage has to come to terms with his environment and where he is and, and just what he wants to be that representation of. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to be the hero for hire, or does he want to be the, the hero that's the icon? That's where he has to kind of find his way. With Danny Rand, he has his emotional issues of who am I and mm-hmm. what is my legacy? Being the proverbial fish out of water. Right. And with Jessica Jones, too, she has her emotional issues, but they all bring it together to be heroes. And like I say, it almost gives that sense of the real world to their characters, even though they're based in a superhero universe. It's a really cool experiment that they did. And to see where it's going to go now is going to be really interesting to watch because, like we said, after this is done, we probably won't see these characters on screen for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you this is not the last we've seen of the Defenders. Well, say so there's a very good reason why every time the shows have ended, they've said this, this, is, this is goodbye for now. Right. Every time they've announced this is goodbye for now. And their impacts will be lasting a lot longer than it will take you to binge watch season three. Season three comes out on Netflix this weekend. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts of Jessica Jones going in? And what's your thoughts of the overall MCU Netflix universe as it's taken off? And we'll probably see on Hulu or Disney Plus. Who knows? We want to know. Hit us up. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Rob Kacharek from the band 607, Autopilot Off, and Walking Distance. And you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for segment number three on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk about some cancellations. Yeah. Now, the big news that broke over the weekend was DC's Universe's Swamp Thing. Yeah, this is messy. Now, it has been announced that after one episode aired that they are canceling the series. Right, but it should be noted that while everyone's running with the headline, Swamp Thing has been canceled, yes, that is the case. However, they do have the 10 episodes filmed. Those 10 episodes will film, and then after that, no mas. Yeah, they will air, and then after that, it depends. There's a lot of rumors going around that they're going to try going to a different network, such as an HBO, mm-hmm. such as an AMC, mm-hmm. such as Netflix, maybe. C- but CW's been thrown out there. CW's been thrown out there. It will not show up on Hulu. No. I will already tell you that right now. No. So, Pad, what was your initial reaction and the reason that we heard? I'll say my initial reaction was I was very surprised because I know there was a lot of good reception about the show and that people were really excited and really happy about the show and really loved it. But then initial reports came out saying that, oh, Upper Brass wasn't too happy about it and they want to cancel. I'm like, all right, well, if that's the case, why do it a week after the show? Like, had their first episode. This seems a little odd. And then it started to come out that, no, what ended up might have been the case. And I haven't seen this firmly 100% confirmed, but this seems to be the prevailing thought going around, was that the show season one was filmed in North Carolina. Mm. And that due to a clerical error, uh, initially... Uh, the WB and, and DC had been promised something like $40 million in credit from the gover- state government of North Carolina towards being able to film the show which according to estimated numbers was half of their budget for season one and due to a clerical error or a paperwork error they weren't going to be able to get 40 million dollars they were going to be able to get 14 
million dollars, which I mean, I'm no mathematician and math isn't my strongest subject in school. 14 is a lot less than 40. Right. This was the basis I was hearing, too, that it was a budget issue more than they didn't yeah. like the show or they were really yeah. doing that, which is fine. I, 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 I will accept that because I did watch the first episode and I, I really liked it. I'm not the biggest Swamp Thing fan. Right. It's, it's a little more obscure, even for hardcore fans. It is. But if you're into the horror genre, you know who Swamp Thing is. He's had some very good runs in the comics by Alan Moore and Scott Snyder, respectively, amongst other writers. It is a different show. And how they portrayed it the first episode mm-hmm. really captured that essence. Yeah. That it's it's not like anything you've really seen, per se, involving superheroes, but it does have that supernatural horror element to it. Yes. And where they're going with it, it's heavily CGI, too. So when oh, they, yeah. So when they were talking about the budget issues, that does make sense that they were using that for the budget money for CGI. Because you can't do the show justice if you don't have that budget. No. So where it goes from here is going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I would like to see it wind up on an HBO. I think it would make yeah. a lot of sense there. I'll say HBO would essentially just write them a blank check and go, here, do what you need to do, and they could just turn it to the to the 11th degree and just go nuts. Well, it would make a lot of sense to go there because I think if they go to the CW, I don't think it will do justice. No. I, I, I honestly don't. I'm not, I'm not saying no. anything bad about CW, but to really capture the element of this. You need to go to a place where you can have an R-rated show mm-hmm. that you could definitely push some boundaries, so to speak, that network TV you can't do. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. The CW universe that's established on Arrow and such mm-hmm. is great for what they do on the show. And even Arrow teeters, teeters the line, so to speak, at times. I mean, sometimes yeah. when there's a lot of killing on there, it, you know, you, you walk a fine line. For yeah. a Swamp Thing to be pulled off. You need to go to a network that's going to allow you that creative freedom mm-hmm. to really go there. So, like I said, AMC could work too. Yeah, AMC is known to take a lot of weird stuff and make it really good. And they do have a good relationship working with DC too, because yeah. they've had yeah. Preacher on. Yeah. I know they have another show that just came out too. Yeah, they have a good relationship that if they wanted to go there with the show. I think that would make a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. But like I said, they're not going to go to Hulu and no. Netflix. Well, it's about, like Hulu for anything that isn't Disney related, you got to ju- you just got to write it off. I know that's been the thing of late, and I'm not knocking this by any means. But like when a show gets canceled, you start petitioning it, and for every possible streaming service to pick it up. While that's admirable, and I have nothing against that, you got to stop putting Hulu in that because let's not forget. Uh, Hulu is now owned in majority by Disney. Right. And DC, and uh, of course, Disney owns Marvel, who is a direct competitor to DC. So there you go. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But I would like to see the show return. And I think that if the fans want to see it return, and I know I've been speaking with people on social media about this over the weekend, the easiest thing is get vocal. Mm -hmm. Throw up your hashtags, renew Swamp Thing, save Swamp Thing, hashtag it up. You can do like the one show I want to see come back more importantly, and that is Deadly Class because over the course of the shows, Sci-Fi announced that it is not renewing Deadly Class and is not renewing Happy. Now, Happy, I could understand, so to speak. Yeah. I could. Yeah. Happy is an acquired taste. Happy is a little different. Happy is good if you like the WTF moments. Mm Mm-hmm. Like not like in Dark Phoenix when Cyclops goes, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Yeah, which happens. That happens and falls flat on the floor. No, when Happy does it, yeah, they go completely left to center and they go into some really crazy places. You have the WTF moments every single scene. Yeah, and it works for him. I don't bash the show. I mean, I I watch the show. Yeah, 
And, I mean, Christopher Maloney and Patton Oswalt and company do a great job continuing the story of Nick Sachs. And where they're going with it, because the comic didn't run that long, is really was out there. So wherever yeah. happens with them going forward, I don't know. But what really upsets me is when Deadly Class got canceled, and I have spoken on the show about it. I have spoken on the blogs about it. The show is so tailor-made for a network like Sci-Fi. And just the production level that is involved with it. The Russo brothers from the Avengers Endgame mythos mm-hmm. are executive producers. The cast is so well casted for yeah. this. Everybody really adds something to the role of just the coming-of-age story in the School of Assassins set in the 1980s punk rock DIY. Mm-hmm. It is so tailor-made to the books. Yeah. And they're and just even when they're telling flashback stories, the fact that they go to illustrations about it. I mean, Rick Remender and Wes Craig's story is so well portrayed on screen and the actors absolutely crush it every episode. And to see that it is almost left to that cliffhanger because I I was under the assumption they were coming back. Right. And I know that ratings-wise, it's always funny because when you start talking about DVRs mm-hmm. and you start talking about the factors of you're not watching live and how that impacts. Well, so it it does end up having an impact. The initial ratings come out like the day after it airs. So it's those who watched live or at least that same night. The numbers also get factored in a couple of days later because they don't go like a. So if you've got something on your DVR, let's just say it's Supergirl. If you got Supergirl on your DVR, you're busy on Sunday night. You got something else going on. You weren't able to watch it. If you were able to watch that night, I'm pretty sure it's factored into that night's viewings. However, if you're just simply busy, you had a crazy week at work and your first day off at work is like a Thursday then it might not factor in because if I'm not mistaken, the ratings for like DVR, TiVo and that kind of stuff for uh, broadcast, like the initial broadcast plus three days afterwards. Right. It's interesting to see how it's played out, but the ratings have gone up every episode and going into the final episode. I know they were really pushing for everybody to watch live. Mm -hmm. They tweet live with everybody. I've tweeted with the cast many times on the ODPH account. In fact, they follow the show, folks. Deadly Class follows the ODPH. So to say that they're that interactive with the cat or to with the fans is an understatement. Yeah, it's it's almost unheard of these days. Right. And I've talked to many of the cast members on the show, too, via Twitter. So with that kind of interaction, that kind of fan base and just the fact they were growing in their numbers to see that get canceled, that definitely threw me for a curveball. Now, sci fi has their reasons for doing it. Yeah. Uh, And you know what? I'm not going to get into it. But what I want to say is, Pad, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You've seen Deadly Class? Yeah, but most of it. Where do you think they should wind up? Ooh, that, well, first of all, whoever gets Deadly Class will be getting a fantastic show that I think a lot of people will be clamoring to see. I think for me what might make the most sense is maybe something like a NBC or even maybe an ABC. Like Go a little different, maybe a little left of center from what you might expect. But I think it's something that might work for the mainstream. I mean, a couple of years ago, you remember, or and even more years ago, uh, NBC had Heroes and then Heroes Reborn. So they do have that kind of flavor of having done that in the past. I'll give you that. In fact, that they could get on network TV, I would mark out like a madman. Yeah. But I don't think that network TV would be able to handle Deadly Class. I just, I'd love to see it though. Don't get me wrong. I want to see them wind up either on Netflix, which I think makes a lot of sense, or let me throw you a curveball that I don't think anybody talks about. Okay. YouTube TV. That's true. Is trying to kind of grow in that market. Yeah. They, they they, have, they've got a couple things. They have the Karate Kid reboot, Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Why not? Put a show like Deadly Class on there. That, that could happen. 
because I think that that would fit because it's so DIY punk rock. For any network to pick that up, it would be a huge feather in their cap at this stage. Yeah. That you really have a fan base that would follow the show. They get very vocal on social media. We've retweeted. They have a petition going on to save the show. Mm-hmm. And this is one you should sign. You don't need to sign one saying bring Tony Stark back to the MCU. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. It's a comic. If they want to bring him back, trust me, they'll re-sign Robert Downey Jr. Enough said. Yeah. But for this, to make sure the fans are getting vocal, and this is what I'm trying to say with the whole segment here. If you want to see your favorite show get brought back, you need to get on your social medias. You need to hashtag it up. You need to start writing into places. You need to start hitting on their Facebook, hitting on their Twitter, hitting on their Instagram about bringing the show back. Mm -hmm. You have to. Yeah. And when fans are doing this and to see the reaction Deadly Classes has been getting, I can't see anybody passing on bringing them back for season two. Yeah. I'd love to see him on Netflix. I think that would be a great fit for him. But I wouldn't doubt maybe just a curveball if if we can throw one out there. If they are not competition with Marvel, maybe sliding them on Freeform with, after Cloak and Dagger. Maybe. Or maybe put them on FX because Ooh. Legion is leaving, unfortunately, but you need some show with a little... You know, je ne sais quoi, as they say. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the only curveball I can see possibly an issue with that is Walt Disney kind of does own FX now. Right, but would they let that go? Because, I mean, you, you have to have an audience for comics that don't fit inside the mainstream. Yeah, that's true. Because it has been proven. If you want to even take a look at how a Hellboy movie got made. Yeah. And I'm not saying the recent one, but yeah, I'm saying just the one in general. Just in general. You can take the looks over the years yeah. since the comic movie medium has blown up mm-hmm. that there's been a lot more attention brought on properties that don't fit that typical superhero mold right i mean take a look the boys is coming out yeah on amazon i believe something like that yeah that's coming out real soon that will that is not made for network tv that is a perfect home for it where mm-hmm. it's going on amazon you take a, a look at some other shows like the umbrella academy mm-hmm. that would i think would have a tough time telling their story if they were on a network show but they have a format and they have a following and they have fans that will watch. That's the key thing. And with Deadly Class 2, well, like I said, I'd love to see it on network TV. I think it would be really cool. I think if you can throw them on a cable market or a streaming service, rather, you do it on a YouTube TV, you do it on a Netflix, mm-hmm. you do it on an HBO, which would be amazing too. Yeah. Or even an AMC, which has been known to take a shot with shows. That's true. I think that that would be a great precedent to set because if you want to get into these shows where you have everybody that's a Batman and a Superman or a Captain America and an Iron Man, that's great. There's a place for that. But for fans that are not into the superhero books, so to speak, and want something different, there needs to be a medium for it. So what I'm going to employ, employ the ODPH audience here. You have a show that got canceled, whether it's Swamp Thing, whether it's Happy, whether it's Deadly Class. Get on your social medias. Start hitting up places you want to see them go. Start using those hashtags. Hashtag Renew Deadly Class. Hashtag Save Deadly Class. Hashtag Renew Happy. Hashtag Save Happy. Hashtag Renew Swamp Thing. Hashtag Save Swamp Thing. However you want to do it, make it a point this week. Tell your friends to watch the show, too. Interact with other friends on social media. Make the point known. Make your voice heard. Let's see what happens. I am still holding out hope for Deadly Class to come back. Swamp Thing, I think, is going to come back in some variation. But we're just going to have to wait and see. 
But hit us up on our hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Which one of those shows do you want to see come back and why? And what network or streaming service do you think would be the best fit for them? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out Robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Liz Bailey is jumping back in on this segment. Pad, you got some one-shots? Yes, of course. We are in the biggest week, one of my favorite weeks of the calendar year as a gamer. E3 is going on, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, of course, we, uh, we've we had uh, EA's had their press conference. Microsoft has had their press conference. And Ubisoft and Bethesda have had their press conferences. But we are still have Square Enix and Nintendo to go. Sony is skipping out this year. Sony's not there this year. Uh, they are saving up to unveil presumably the PlayStation 5 or whatever they're going to call it next year. Uh, but So some of the big kind of highlights for this year, uh, EA led off with Star Wars Jedi The Fallen Order and a 15-minute gameplay video of it. And my God, does it look amazing. Uh, you have Saw Gerrera returning uh, to okay. the story. This takes place, of course, between episodes three and four. We're quite in the timelines, not 100% set yet, but with Saw Gerrera showing up, of course, uh, being reprised by the great actor Forrest Whitaker. Uh, looks very good. Looks very interesting. It's being done by the folks at Respawn, of course, who made the Titanfall video games. Uh, it just looks really good and really amazing. Uh, that was kind of like my one big takeaway from the EA. The rest was sports and other games that I'm not really that much into. But if you are, hey, check them out on their YouTube channel. I'm sure you can find some stuff out. Uh, from the Microsoft press conference, uh, some the one interesting thing is they kind of went into some details about their next gaming console. They didn't give it a full name. All they said was that it's going to be coming out holiday 2020, and it's going to be coming with Halo Infinite. Okay. The next uh, next in, uh, chapter in the Halo series had a very interesting, uh, not sort of a gameplay trailer, but just kind of a trailer, kind of maybe hinting at what the story is going to be going forward. So we got that to look forward to. They showed off some Gears 5 stuff, which, fun thing, if you pre-order Gears 5, you will get a skin uh, for one of the original Terminator Terminator robots in the game. So that was kind of cool. Uh, and then at Bethesda, they had some... In, not some there was nothing new from Bethesda uh, from Sunday night about... Uh, Elder Scrolls 6 or Starfield, kind of their big anticipated stuff, but they did have some stuff, interesting stuff for what they have out, uh, Fallout 76 and, and Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, the Kind of the big stuff from Ubisoft today was more so what they got coming, but they did unveil their next Watch Dogs game, which is Watch Dogs Legion, which takes place in London. Uh, the way they kind of described it as it's kind of a what-if scenario in, in Europe where it's like a surveillance state and everything's kind of watched and suppressed. And, and from what they've told, if you're anything familiar with watchdog games and kind of the hacking ability of it and all that, it seems like everyone in the game can be recruited to your cause. And it looks very, it looks very interesting. Uh, as we record, we still have the, like I said, the square Enix panel to look forward to. So we do, which they are going to finally unveil whatever it is they've been working on with Marvel for an Avengers video game. Yeah. No idea what that's going to be, but they did drop in like the, possibly the weirdest announcement during E3 in a number of years I can think of 
they dropped the big news and the surprising news that I figured they would have let off with or saved for the end of their panel. And that is the release date of the final fantasy seven remake. They've been working on for now. That's huge. That's huge. That's got a lot of people excited for it. And that's kind of, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh wow. Okay. Uh, they have now, uh, they have a concert going on and I'm pre- I presume it's going to start touring, but it's a final fantasy seven concert where it's an orchestra and they play music from the final fantasy seven game. Uh, they unveiled a trailer at that concert and in the middle of the night, East coast time. And with the release the worldwide release date of March 3rd, 2020. Now, how big is this remake? This is big. This is not like a remaster because obviously it was a PlayStation 1 game, so it's kind of hard to remaster up like three generations in consoles. This is a remake. This is huge because for a lot of people, Final Fantasy VII is their game from everything from Cloud and Aerith to Sephiroth and just kind of like, you know, and I, I might be spoiling it for some people, but the game came out however many years ago. Get over it. You know, the death of Aerith being one of the huge seminal moments in a lot of kids' lives. I mean, this is something a lot of people were coming, looking forward to and and not totally expecting when they first announced it. And also we have, and I know Liz is going to be a big uh, fan of this, we have the Nintendo press conference coming tomorrow where presumably we will get a lot of new information about the upcoming Pokemon games, Sword and Shield. Liz, how excited are you for this? I'm so excited, I can't even stand it. Uh, she is very excited. She's a huge Pokemon fan and very much looking forward to it. She still has to get a Switch, but she's working on that. Or she likes to call it a flip. Yes. She, uh, it very. It looks very good. I know fans are freaking out because they've, they've, they're kind of doing slow. That's the one thing Nintendo does good. They do slow teases. They, they don't give you everything at once. They, they give you a little bit now, a little bit further down the road. Uh, the one interesting thing I've, I've seen from the stuff they've shown prior to what, whatever it is they're going to show tomorrow uh, as we record is the fact that and Pokemon fans look at this. You can now ride a bike on the water. And I like the one because that's something you haven't been able to do ever in a Pokemon game. And it kind of harkens back to the original game where you, you try to do it and you're up against the water and Professor Oak would say, now is not the time to use that. So I do enjoy the one meme that somewhere Professor Oak is freaking out about that. Presumably you might get you might get, I don't know, maybe another match, something about a Metroid Prime game, Metroid Prime game. Uh, you know, with Samus and all that, you might even get some new information about Super Smash Brothers. But it's a real good week to be a gamer. Definitely is E3. I mean, this is a big deal. It's almost like Comic Cons. Yeah. For anybody that's not into gaming, but if you're a gamer, this is your Comic Con. This oh, is San Diego. This is New York. I'll say when you've got Keanu Reeves showing up at the Microsoft presser, which I've, I can't believe I almost neglected to mention that. But of course, uh, the folks at CD Projekt Red who make the made the Witcher games, you know, mm-hmm. Witcher one, two, and three, great games, fantastic. Can't recommend them enough. They've got a new game coming out next year called uh, Cyberpunk 2077, and they unveiled a gameplay trailer for, it, and then a, th- a theatrical trailer for, it, and like at the end or towards the latter end of the trailer. Keanu Reeves just shows up and like it's Keanu Reeves is, is like if you pull up a picture of him now and then who walks out but Keanu Reeves and there was one of the one of the awesome moments of E3 you can look it up on Twitter and both Twitter and YouTube where you know uh, he says all oh, the, the world they're building for this game is breathtaking and he pauses and somebody from the audience goes you're breathtaking and Keanu Reeves goes no you're breathtaking so then the awesome thing is the folks at CD Projekt Red tracked that fan down and because of that awesome moment that fan is now going to get a free copy of the collector's edition of the game see that's just so cool I mean yeah. just when you have that fan interaction when you yeah. go to events like that yeah. that's that's where it really hits and this is why these are such big mm-hmm. deals and I mean especially for E3 for the gaming community yeah this is huge it also says something when one of my friends on Twitter uh, is a writer for a site and his girlfriend 
knows nothing about video games other than E3 is going on because he's covering it for his job. And when he's in the middle of covering a press conference, uh, he's typing up articles and doing his thing. When she calls from the other room and goes, oh, my God, Keanu Reeves was at E3. Like that kind of is like just kind of the impact that a person like Keanu Reeves has. The other interesting one is John Bernthal. Yes, the Punisher. John Bernthal is going to be in the next Tom Clancy Ghost Recon video game. Oh, that's and huge. He's going to be the protagonist. So uh, if you're a Ghost Recon fan and you're looking forward to the next one, uh, you're going to have to take down John Bernthal, a.k.a. the Punisher. Uh, so good luck with that. Yeah, good luck. That ain't, that's not happening. Yeah. But overall, E3... Final thoughts. I, oh, just been an incredible week. A lot of a lot of announcements. I'm very excited to see what it is the Marvel Avengers video game is going to be that we have yet to see as of recording. I've known this has been a thing for a while, and it's been so wrapped up in secrets. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what it's going to be about, what it's going to be like, but my God, I'm excited for it. This is definitely big news. I'm excited to see what Marvel has in stow for the Avengers game. I mean, this has been something that, obviously, with the success of Endgame, it's huge to see mm-hmm. anticipation so anything less than a home run is a failure yep so and i think square enix is going to deliver on this without question so for my one shots kind of a little different one this week because i mean I'll, I'll throw a quick one just a traditional one at you mm-hmm. if you've read the walking dead comic there was a big 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 Ooh. stat quote change in the yeah, last there was. issue yeah it was spoiler three two one rick grimes was killed off yeah and i know i told this to you because you hadn't heard it yet, and you're like wait really yeah, this was very interesting to see. I And obviously Carl had to kill him because yeah. if you've been following the story, uh, Rick was murdered and how he turned into a zombie and Carl was the one to find him. And well, it, the, the, the issue prior, Rick was shot and they kind of left it up in the air because it's one of those cliffhanger TV endings where he's shot and, oh, what happened? Tune in next week. And they get to this issue and they don't they don't hold back. You know, Carl walks into the bedroom where his dad is supposed to be, quote unquote, recovering. And no, he's already turned and his eyes are already white. Right. So this is very interesting to see for the comic storyline to see where they're going and you know does this signify an end to the comic coming up maybe i mean it's hard to say issue 200 is going to be coming up fairly shortly hasn't kirkman said in the past that he has an ending for the comic in mind yes he says he has an ending for both the show and the comic should it come time for him okay so there is a, a a possibility for it i'm not saying it's ending i'm not going to throw that out there but if it happens i wouldn't be surprised but now it's going to be interesting to see how the comic universe deals with this because the TV show has made good with it, but they have Daryl Dixon. The comic universe doesn't, so let's see what the Carl Grimes-led team of survivors happen, moves forward. That's going to be the true story. The comics now. doesn't have it yet. They don't, Who knows? Have, they don't have it yet, but we'll have to see. And to close out the show, this is the official two-year anniversary of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So two years ago this week, the ODPH, the Ocho Doro Parlay Hour, started doing our podcasts. So we just want to say a quick thank you to our blog writers who have been supporting the show, Vinny, Bright Guy Signal, Nostradogmus, Edwin, uh, to you know John and Brian, our street team, to Freddie Theod- Frederick Theodore, I have to say the formal name, Yes, our T-shirt and logo designer, to our fellow hashtag 607 podcast friends over at Three Fat Nerds, Rich Ron and hashtag Big Natty Cool Derek Diesel and Mike C from I or I was gonna say I am horror because he started out that way, but Horror Zone 607, 
to Coach Duffy and to Sound Guy Galore JR. So shout out to those two guys for the greatest segment that was never recorded. Yes, when we have our like historic like retrospective episode one of these days, oh, just wait for the story oh on that God, one. Oh my God, yeah. We don't get anywhere without the music that you hear on the show too, so we have to give a shout out to all the bands that have come on the show and have been so gracious with giving us their music to play each and every week. Fair City Fire out of Austin, Texas. Shout out the Robots, Crimson Brethren, Honker, Floodlands, Walking Distance. Truly means the world to get your music on the show, and we're hoping that a worldwide audience is picking up on you too. And especially to you know everybody that's been supporting the show lately, our Twitter followers have just joined on, hashtag Potter and Family. To all of you, our loyal listeners, I mean, especially shout out to our listeners up in Nova Scotia. Ooh, okay. C- CJH and everybody up there, we see the download numbers. We see you interacting with us. We just want to say, and to everybody worldwide that's been following just our downloads coming in from England too, to everybody that's t- taken the time out to listen to the show, to interact with us on social media, for Padawan Jay and myself, we just want to say thank you. You can listen to a lot of podcasts, but the fact you give us your time each and every week, it means the absolute world to us, and it just pushes us to go even harder and just give you the best podcast that we can give you coming live from the 607 each and every week. So to all of you, simply thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support means everything. And that's all I got for this week. So for Liz Bailey, who decides to come crash in a couple segments, for Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenem. Thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Dural Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>